Hey, before we get started today, I just wanted to let everyone know about our Big Self Leadership Accelerator. It's a big program that we're launching on October 4th. Signups are beginning today. It's finally happening. It's our 10-week program designed for proactive leaders who want time-tested strategies to accelerate their personal growth, their team, and their company. It's in a group setting, small groups. We'll also go over the Enneagram system and the seven traits of effective leadership to become the inspiring, empowering, and bold leader that your team needs you to be. It's not a typical leadership development program. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. We would love to have you be a part of the small but growing community to see how you could be more effective as a leader at your organization. And to find out more details for this limited space, go to bigselfschool.com backslash B-S-L-A. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Type 4 panel. Hey. We are continuing our Enneagram series, uh, talking about and learning from the experts of their type on how they are using the Enneagram to grow. Uh, and I'm really excited to have two of my friends here today to join Chad, who's also a four and to join this conversation. So the first thing I'm going to ask you all to do is just to introduce yourself, tell us your name, um, a little bit about your current role and what you're, where you're working and how you discovered your Enneagram type. And Shay, do you mind going first since you're the, the top the, over on the left side of my screen there? Sure. Sounds good. Um, so I am Shay. I am a self-press four. Um, I, uh, so my role in, in work life is that I'm a communication strategist, uh, mostly doing branding and, uh, fun communication work that includes, uh, a focus on the well-being of humanity. So I actually use the Enneagram in my branding work as well, which is quite fun. Um, and I, uh, I, discovered I was a four many years into Enneagram work. So I first mistyped as a three, uh, like many self-press fours do. And uh, the test told me I was a three, kind of looked like it matched. You know, they're, they're, I've been lucky to experience some success in my life. So I felt like maybe that was it because threes are really success driven. Um, but then I was listening to a podcast one day uh, from a, I think she's a coach named Annie Diamond. And she was talking about this training she had just been to with this wonderfully marvelous, amazing human being named B. Chestnut. And she started describing all of the different types and got to self-press four. And I like almost had to stop the car because mm -hmm. I was like, that mm -hmm. is me. And I had never felt more seen ever in my entire life, I think, in that moment and immediately had to run out and get B's book. Um, and once I read it, it just completely confirmed it for me and uh, like, I think that's the story of many self-press fours, actually. And uh, so excited to talk about that today and, and what it really looks like to be a four and to discover you're a four. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I and just for everybody listening, the self-press four, self-preservation four is the counter type of, of the type four. And so maybe we'll, I think we might get into that a little bit, but that's some of the typing complexity is when you do like I'm a counter type as well. And so it doesn't resonate completely what these stereotypes are 
Um, and so you do have to dig a little bit deeper. So Amanda, how about you? How did you get here? And then introduce yourself to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm Amanda. I'm a global business manager for the Chestnut Pies Enneagram Academy. So working really closely with B Chestnut and her business partner, Udanu Pies. And um, I, I came to the Enneagram in my previous professional life. So I was a researcher at the Brookings Institution um, doing global development research. And I, I was managing, um, a leadership development program for, uh, leaders in the global South who worked on girls' education issues. And we were starting this whole leadership development program for them and hired a consultant out of South Africa who used the Enneagram to, um, to start this leadership development work. And so I was just, I had no, like I'd never heard of it um, and was just really as a typical four, like into this stuff, you know, like I was like, yeah, let's talk about personalities all day long. And um, so I heard the presentation as the students were hearing the presentation and um, they started, you know, with eight and went, went from there. And so I was like, okay, eight. Yeah, I can get angry, you know, and um, one, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. And then two, yeah, I can be like kind of needy and, you know, like all the stereotypes basically. Right. At three, I also super resonated with. um, And then it got to four and it felt embarrassing. Like it felt like, oh, you know, like, and like that gut punch that people describe, you know, but I didn't admit it to myself straight away. Um, and so I went to this consultant after the session and um, we had gotten to know each other just a little bit because we were planning for this meeting. And she just asked me, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't really know. And I told her the ones that I sort of resonated with. And um, she just said, do you experience envy? And I was like, yeah, you know, and that was it. And it was just like, yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of like the shadowy part, Um, just being really honest with myself about that. So that's, that's how I came to it. And then I started digging into the podcast world as well, came to B and B's book was the first, you know, Enneagram book I ever read. Um, so I kind of didn't get into the other, uh, non-subtype thinking. Um, so, but I actually mistyped myself as a sexual four, um, and, and thought I was a sexual four for some time. And it turns out that, and B helped me realize that I was a self-press four. So yeah, that's, that's the the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Two self-preservation fours with. The sexual four. You want to tell how um, you discovered your type? Yeah, Shelly told me what I was. <laughs> um, like a good two does. We kind of immediately, <laughs> I will just say briefly, yeah, I wish I had like a cool, you know, story about discovering the Enneagram. Well, like, it's your story. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I We kind of immediately were like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're a four. Um... Just that the romantic, the art, the the as it's called, the the artist, and um, you know, we just immediately were making jokes of, yep, because I'm special, 
you know, like, like the four needs to be, uh, needs to feel. Um, but, you know, upon Shelly learning um, more about the subtypes, you know, there were times where we were like, you know, you kind of behave like an eight, you know, Chad, especially uh, maybe under stress or sometimes in the work environment. And, and then upon the discovery of the, of the subtype of the energy of the sexual energy of the intensity, to me, the subtypes have opened up, uh, knowing these instincts have opened up as much of an understanding and revelation of my working personality in the world as the actual numbers themselves. I mean, it was really kind of flavors a lot of, of my behavior and has helped me to become a lot more conscious. It's, it's like they say, it's, uh, the, the Enneagram it has little shortcuts in it, doesn't it? You know, mm. where it, it, it helps you lead, it just laser focuses in on, uh, self-observation, uh, a lot faster. Yeah. And I think like Amanda's saying, I think it was, understanding the definition of envy as, Mm -hmm. as fours experience it. I think that was really clarifying too. So I guess I could add to that. The sexual energy is, you know, can be very intense and a lot of um, my envy that I didn't want to, I didn't want to admit to myself that I felt because it's kind of, it's shame. It's, you feel a little shame. Like, why would I, why am I envious? Uh, and, uh, I don't know the, the, the energy, I guess the, okay. B chestnut often says that she says that they can, the sexual four can be the angriest of all the types. And, you know, we're like, I'm like, if you knew me and if we, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, oh, Chad's angry. I was like, maybe it explains a little bit why, you know, really was attracted to Metallica or something, you know, and, you know, I needed to get some energy out with weightlifting as a teenager and and into early adulthood. But, but then when I started really thinking a lot of my emotions, I don't know if it's because of, you know, having being a guy and how we translate things, but like that, that anger energy can be very self-directed towards me, like internally. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the beginning point, I guess. Yeah. So I want to ask you all first about center of intelligence. So, um, you all as a four sit in the heart center, uh, you are heart types. And so talk a little bit, just kind of high level, what that means to you, um, how you experience being a heart type, um, in general. Yeah, sure. I, it's such a good question. I think so. My partner in life is a body type and it's the contrast is just so like in my face every day, (laughs) you know, um, it's so interesting just, um, in one of our courses and Shay, you were there actually, uh, Uranu led this sort of physical exercise around, like exaggerating the centers and it was so hard for us heart types to like really sit into that head type energy physically or lead with the gut, you know, in any, in any way. So it's just like that, 
that heart openness all the time, that leaning in for connection constantly, you know, that's just, it's a part of everything I do. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been so interesting to become more aware of that and name that um, because I, I don't think I ever noticed that about myself, you know? Yeah. Before. It's like when you're swimming in it, you're like, that's a thing. Like, yeah. isn't everybody doing Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is just, um, for me, it really plays out in terms of like, just not being aware of my body. You know, I think I'm more connected to the, to the mental center than I am the body yeah, center. I'm kind of body blind, you know, or mm-hmm. body repressed. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the way it becomes most obvious to me is like that contrast. Mm. what's missing, I guess. Right. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Shay, how about you? I definitely resonate with that. Um, that moment that Uranio did that with us too, of he walks us around the room, right. And has us exaggerate these different pieces of ourselves. And, And here's the thing. We all have all three centers of intelligence, right. But we live most comfortably in one. And so that heart center for us as heart types, feels the most comfortable. It's what we go to unconsciously, like as a default. And like, like Amanda was saying, like we literally put our chest forward when we're talking to someone, we are connecting with people's eyes. We are picking up on information and language, emotional language that isn't said with words. Like we're able to look at people's faces and know what's going on, know what's happening inside their hearts even. Um, and so I think first, as a four, I want to point, I want to make a special, uh, a special call to see that, see it as a gift and a positive thing, which is hard for fours to do sometimes. We tend mm. to focus on the negative, um, but we can grow here a little bit and like really celebrate these things as true gifts as well. Um, and like, I think there, there's, a, there's a special connection um, with the heart center, with relationships. And that's why heart-centered people are image-driven because they care so deeply about relationships and where we fit within those relationships. And so we're constantly kind of gauging the relationships in our lives through this like image focus of, okay, mm-hmm. are we good? Are we not good? And especially fours kind of focus more on the disconnection sometimes than the connection. But that's all heart center energy there. Yeah, it's so because so I'm a two, I'm a heart type as well. Um, and I've started thinking more about my heart energy in the space between me and the other person. Like it's, it's this energetic kind of um, almost like unconsciousness that that I'm aware of. So for me, it's less about emotional at least I'm not conscious of that because I repress all my feelings. Um, but it's very relational for me. So when I think about being a heart type, I wonder if that's different for the fours. Um, because you guys have such good access to your own emotions, if it does, heart type is more emo- more emotive or more of that emotional connection where I'm, like when you just said, Shay, like, are we good? Like that feels right for me as a heart type. Like I'm, I am... Um, kind of, uh, work like, like aware of this energy between me and this other, and the other person, uh, in this weird kind of energetic level that is really hard. And then I can like do whatever I need to do. So is that the same for fours or is it, does it come, is it different than that being more 
kind of in touch with your own emotions? Well, it's harder. It's hard for me to, I like you guys, it's like, I'm so swimming in it. It's hard to, all I can do is kind of identify when I know I'm in my head, which I know that, you know, I, I, I'm like, oh, okay, like I felt my way to this decision. Now I need to analyze it and think about it. So I assume then that my body must be my least connected center of intelligence. So it's, I'm still trying to kind of figure it out. Like mm-hmm. when uh, eight, nines or ones, the body types say that they just, they have this intuitive just knowing in their body. I, I don't understand really completely I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I think all four of us are probably. It's what did you, Amanda? What did that. you call it? Body, body repressed, body yeah. blind. <laughs> right, body blind, body repressed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting too, and I wonder. I have no idea. I'm not an enneagram expert by any stretch of the of the imagination, but I wonder too if, as fours, you know, thinking about the symbol, if we have more access to head energy because we're closer to the five, you know, and if the two perhaps has more access to body energy being closer to one, I have no idea. Mm. Um, but that's, that's an interesting, uh, sort of mental exercise for me. Yeah. I, I think the image focus Shay that you talked about is just so spot on, you know, and I think as fours, um, maybe it presents itself a little bit differently than, what you were describing as a two, but I think that image focus is, is always there, isn't it? Like, and maybe it's more of a self-consciousness at times or making ourselves, you know, better in some way. And I think that has to do with the envy piece, but the image focus is just constant, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like being so aware, not only of the relation, but like, what, what are you seeing right now? What am I putting out to you right now? Right? Like, what do I look like? What, what energy are you getting from me? It's just this constant, like evaluation of self, I think. Yeah. But then the the fours, y'all tell me if this is right. Experts move into that with the desire for authenticity more than I would say like a two does. So I move into that with a desire to be liked or to um, shift my image to keep this connection or to keep you engaged with me. But I think the fours come at it with this a little bit more honesty maybe of, of who, who they are and what they want in that exchange. Is that fair? So there's, there's an, I think there's an interesting dynamic there and we were just discussing this in another training recently. Um, And I think there's like this weird paradox because I, you're right. Fours, we have a deep need to be authentic and we will uh, make ourselves look bad in order to be authentic. But at the same time, we have a deep desire to be accepted in our authenticity and in our uniqueness and what makes us different. And so there's this kind of play that we do that's like, Hey, look at how unique and interesting I am. Don't you appreciate me and accept me? But let me overdo it a little bit just to prove that you can't really get down with how authentic I am. <laughs> and so there's like there's this game that we play totally unconsciously. We're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. But I think I've definitely seen myself sabotage myself that way. Um and at 
they're, they're at the root of it, it's wanting connection with other people. But sometimes that ends up disconnecting me from other people. Mm. Wow. So. That is really well said. I, I see that in, uh, in, in my behaviors as well. Uh, authenticity does just surface to the top as like a massively like, important word. Um, and value. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but the, but, but you guys are making me think a little bit of the image thing. And I was thinking of, um, I'm going to make this real brief because I'm trying to th- summarize a lot in a little bit. But when I was in seminary, um, I really struggled with like the parts of me that weren't feeling authentic. Um, as I, you know, was, I was like a lot of it's authentic to me, but the parts that weren't really bothering me. And I was like feeling like my specialness and my gifts as a writer and a poet were being suppressed because I never had time to work on that. I was always having to read theology or whatever. Then skip fast forward many years after I'm done with seminary and I'm getting a PhD in creative writing and I'm around all these artists and, you know, and, and misfits and rebels and, and I'm, and then I'm like not completely feeling authentic there, but really trying to fit in and prove my specialness. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that opens up a couple of things about me thinking of this struggle with self image and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm trying to be real honest about it and be authentic and wear my feelings on my sleeve sometimes. So, yeah, and you're bringing up a couple of these um, definable characteristics. I want to just mention one, two, there's five. Um, And then I want to just talk for a minute about how, two things, how these show up, like what this looks like for you and your lived experience and how they might get in your way also. Um, All right, so type fours have a few definable characteristics. Uh, Number one, emotional sensitivity. Number two, highly empathic and attuned to the emotional space between themselves and others. Number three, aesthetic and creative sensibility. Number four, focus on what's lacking or missing. And number five, attuned to suffering, creating melancholy. So how do those sit with you all? Like what what comes up as I read that and you're thinking about how it shows up for you and maybe some of the struggles that they create. Do we have like a week? Because <laughs> there's a lot here. That is, that is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and maybe pick one. that's like really kind of standing out. That's something that you're even currently conscious of and working on. Well, I think one, just Chad, what you were recently discussing, right. Around being in one place that, um, reflects a part of you, but not all of it, right? And then being in another setting that reflects this other part of you, but not all of it. I think that speaks to the focus on what's missing. And I mm. that resonates for me a lot. Um, I think in every sort of role I've ever been in, whether professional or in a relation, you know, whatever it is, I think there's such frustration and maybe even anger. And I think I'm sexual uh, second um, and social repressed. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I think there's just this sense of like, but something needs to be all of me, you know, like something needs to reflect it all. And so Mm. there's this frustration as we move through the world when the setting doesn't 
completely reflect who I am. And it's, there's almost an entitlement, I think, to it, right? Um, Where it's like, this should, like, I should find a space in the world that where I feel fully accepted, fully me, and fully authentic. But you'll never find that, right? And so there's this just constant moving through the world. And I think it does get my, at least for me, it gets me into a cycle of self-sabotage because it's just constantly trying to find the next thing or constantly trying to find um, a place that, that will, you know, feel right. And, and I think that's, um, that's the growth path, you know, is Mm -hmm. kind of like finding what Shay was saying, you know, like finding what's, what's right right now, like what feels good right now. And, um, and it really gets in, in the way of being present for me. That's, that's how it's, that's the sad part, I think, you know, it's just like, man, if only I can like really be present to this life in this moment. Um, and that cycle of looking for what's not there is, is what gets in the way of that. Yeah, that's clear. It's almost like this quest for wholeness is what I was hearing as you were sharing that. Yeah. And I would just add that it's uh, helpful for me to think about that as being something that was lacking or missing. Uh, I hadn't really um, thought about that. If I were to say anything, one thing of these bullet points, the ideas of, you know, our characteristics that stands out is the way that I can get melancholic. Like I'm generally like, I'll be pretty, you know, I'll be upbeat. Sometimes you'll say chipper Chad, And, you know, but it's almost impossible for me to be like incredibly consistent that way. It feels like, because just almost inexplicably, like one day I'll just be a little lower energy, maybe a little bit more moody, a little bit more, I guess I'm feeling things and I'm a little down. Yeah. And, and down on yourself. And I think that's what we've started to tease out as I'm like, oh, he's in that, he's in a mood. He's like, (laughs) you know, just down, like you can just tell. And as we talk and kind of process through that, it's clear that it's like this self-incriminating, like something, you got some evidence outside that now you're internalizing as it means something negative about me. Like that's the theme that I've seen. And he, and he really has to like metabolize that and kind of work with it. And it usually takes a couple days for you to feel like you're at back at that, what Aranya calls emotional neutrality, which I mm. love that idea. So yeah. Shay, how about you? What, what stands out to you? Yeah. What you're describing Shelly is uh, something called introjection, right? Like, and fours naturally do that. I'm going to say all the time. Mm. <laughs> it's <laughs> not us- just every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Tell us oh. what introjection is pe- for people that may not know. Yeah, so we're we're all pretty familiar with the idea of projection, where we take mm-hmm. our our internal experience and project that out on others, and assume others are having that same experience. But what fours do is we actually pick up and sense uh, emotions, thoughts, feelings outside of ourselves, and bring them in as if they are ours or they mean something about us. And so when people talk about fours being self-referencing or, and and some people think of fours as being very self-involved, that's not my experience of fours really. Um, 
But I think what they're really describing is this sense that force kind of pick up stuff, uh, especially emotional content and kind of swallow it as our own. And so not only are we being down on ourselves because maybe you're having a bad day and I just took that as like, I'm unworthy of being in your presence or something, but also, you know, we're, we're, this is where envy comes in. We envy so much that we actually take on other people's negative emotions and pretend like they're our own. And, and so that's, that's how we end up being so melancholic and, and seeing what's missing, seeing the negative, because this is the information we're picking up from the world around us. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear if the other fours have that experience as well. Well, it's for sure, uh, an area where I'm now beginning to direct more self observation and developing more self-awareness around, around that I do it, how I do it. And I'm looking for the sources. So, um, you know, it's not just like suppressed, but I'm a little bit more conscious of it. And then I can do something a little bit more with it. I think this is definitely a growth path area. Mm -hmm. I've seen it a lot with Chad around. Um, so he's a writer and he would see other people, other writers success or that he would see them posting, you know, on Twitter, they got this, uh, you know, application to a program or got a new book published and it would like on a dime, he would go into the funk like this, uh, this place after a certain period of time and know, it's definitely yeah. gotten better. And I think with him understanding kind of how he gets hooked by that. Uh, but yeah, no, I but think the further down my career path I went and then the more like these of all kinds of so many tiny celebrations to big things. And it just does have an impact on you. Yeah. Like, um, feeling like I deserve the same thing or that why am I not being recognized um, for the hard work and originality that I'm bringing, those kinds of things. So what I'm about gonna, you, Amanda? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think, gosh, all of this introduction is just, you know, it's it's the crux of the work, I think, for me. Um I, in, in one of the uh, retreats we did, I was doing a piece of work and Odanu showed me this image and he said, this is how I see you. And it's an image of a man who is hunched over and he's got all of this like trash and laundry or like something in his back. He's in a really like sort of dirty location. I don't know exactly where the image came from. And he's just walking and he's pretty frail, but he's, he has just all this baggage and it's, Mm -hmm. and he's just carrying it around. He's completely like, he's like horizontal, you know, um, he's kind of like a 90 degree angle. (laughs) Um, and that was so eye opening for me. Um, and I think it, it's exactly what Shay said around the envy is just so constant that we're taking in other people's crap constantly <laughs> and like and then we just carry it you know and and that's and tying this back to the center piece actually you know that's where body intelligence could really help me and this is where i i try to reach into the body center in some way and integrate that because i think the body is one way to help that stuff flow out of you mm-hmm. you know whether it's movement or i, I have no idea I've not figured this out, but I think, you know, getting that 
off of you, getting that off your back is, is really important. I think especially for self-preservation force with the masochism. Um, so I think the introjection definitely plays a big role there. Um, but it's true. It's, it's like this constant comparison is what drives our, like for me, a sense of entitlement, right? Like kind of what, to what you were saying, Chad, like I should get this recognition or I should, you know, the world should give me this, um, in that moment of comparison. But then there's also for me with the envy and comparison, like a moment of, um, putting myself above the other person immediately. Right. It's like the envy is so painful that I need to just be like, actually, I have this, this, and that, that this right. person doesn't have. Otherwise, it's just too painful to to sit in the envy. So I think that's that's a really huh. big part of the experience and the growth path for me is just being aware so, of that. Yeah, that's so good. I want to ask about this because this is, I have struggled with this when it comes to the fours personality structure. Um, the adaptive strategy, and I'd love for you all to talk about this as much as you feel comfortable. So, you know, when we go back into childhood and we look at how these personality structures kind of get started and solidified and reinforced, help me understand. And I think for people that are listening, like the, the, the sense of lack that created was, was created in childhood. And then this belief that the four has that they can do something um, or, or something was missing, that they could do something to fill that. Uh, and then they carry that belief and that structure into adulthood. But that helped me with like the thinking and the, the what's happening in, internally for a four growing up. What, what was lacking or what was missing or what was the loss for you all that you're at least aware of? And then how did you go about trying to get that Feel, filled like that hole filled and we've even talked about this with and Chad's like I don't know what was lost like maybe when he moved from California to Virginia but I think it was it's tricky I think for a lot of fours to for a lot and a lot of non-fours to understand how that gets solidified could you all share a little bit about that like where you learned your adaptive strategy and then how that plays out now yeah, I'll, I don't. I don't mind sharing about this. Okay. I will say that this will be incredibly subjective to every individual, and that's especially true for fours. So none of our thank you for saying that. Yes, <laughs> so true. Yeah, none of our experiences are going to be exactly the same, um, but we do know that uh, when it comes to subtype, typically when we're talking about our childhood, typically self-pres people maybe have more of an issue or whatever their original trauma is. is probably associated with their mother. Social might be associated with their father. And then the um, sexual is more so the triangulation between mother, father, and child. So for me as a self-pres for, when I found that out, it led me towards some issues with my mother, my relationship with my mother, especially early, early, early in life. Um, and really, and, and I can only say this as a self-pressed for, I can't speak to everyone else about the, you know, in this case, but for me, it was really about uh, feeling a sense of responsibility for her emotional well-being, even as early as the womb and feeling like my needs were, were secondary 
to hers. And, um, and it took me a long time to get to the point where I could say, oh my gosh, I've been living my entire life like that. You know, like my entire life has been about making sure my mom's emotional needs are okay and mine aren't mm-hmm. and, and just bearing the weight of other people's um, needs and emotions, fully aware of my own, but never expressing those to other people. And that's where masochism comes in for a self-press four is this like, I know what I need. I know how emotional I am. I know how incredibly overloaded I am that what Amanda was talking about, the man hunched over with all the trash on his back. We are fully aware of it, but we, we bear it. Right. And we don't, we don't let that out to other people. Hmm. And so for me, it's really been about being able to say those kinds of things out loud to share with someone. This is my experience. This was, this is the first story I have of my life and it's not a very good story, you know, and just being able to say that for me has like opened up more. You think of fours as being emotionally vulnerable, but self-pressed fours aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being more vulnerable about that and, and being open with it allows me to kind of release some of the hold that that has had around me. Uh, so that's just my experience. So, so I think what I hear you saying, Shay, is like there is a profound uh, experience or awareness around like that that lack or loss, that hole is kind of what I think of it in because you were meeting your mom's needs emotionally. And then the way that you figured out how to what to do with that, your adaptive strategy became to suppress your own needs. Is, is that fair? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and yep. emotions. And then part of your work has been tapping back. Not, and it sounds like there's a lot of awareness around it, but giving yourself permission to express it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I love that. Do you all want to, Amanda or Chad, anything about the adaptive strategy that you have become aware of for yourself? Yeah. Um, this is, it's so fascinating, right? The, the mother, the father, and the triangulation piece as it relates to your dominant instinct. Um, I, I tried for a long time to, similar to Chad, I couldn't quite pinpoint it for a long time. And just recently, um, you know, being, being aware of my early, early life, um, I was premature. And so I spent, I don't know how many days actually in the NICU, but I spent some time away from my mother. There was some trauma with the birth, like our lives were both at risk, you know? And, um, so it was a pretty (laughs) dramatic entrance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, and I, I guess I spent some time away from her. So I think that that is the the thing that comes to mind for me, you know, mm-hmm. as that potential first loss or um, disconnect, um, especially now knowing that I am a self-preservation for uh, knowing, uh, becoming more aware of all of the pieces of my mother's story that I've taken on. Um, and really the sense of like, if I'm not okay, maybe you will be you know, like, so really Mm, resonating with what Shay just said. Um, Like, if I take on your pain, like, maybe that'll be good. Maybe that'll be enough. You know, maybe it'll make you feel better. 
And I can do that, you know, like I can, I can sit with pain all day long, so you don't have to. So there's this kind of, um, like, now that I'm more aware of how big this story was in my life, um, and only now starting to deconstruct it, you know, that that's the, the piece that I think was really what created this not created, but reinforced, right? <laughs> Solidified, as you said, um, this adaptive strategy. So I think that's that's the story for me. Yeah, that's good. Thank you both. Well, it's yeah. interesting, uh, Shay, how you uh, discussed, um, I guess it's the object relations theory. Um, and so if then, if me as the uh, a sexual or relationship-focused um, uh, subtype, that uh, I was uh, a firstborn of two, and um, and I do feel like I had strong bonds with both parents um, in very different ways. Um, you know, my my only brother was born when I was um, nearly five, so I was like the only child for a while. Um, my mom was very nurturing and very present. And my dad was not around nearly as much, but was very intense and had an intense presence and was a minister. So I would go, we would go to church and then there he would be, we would be watching him sort of perform, you know, um, as the preacher. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure that those had a bit of a formative thing. I was, I was definitely made to feel like that I was very special and like I was the oldest on either side of their families of all my cousins. And so anytime we would go around mm-hmm. to like other play, it was like, it, it was just like, let's see Chad. Let's watch Chad um, perform. And let's let him talk about and and I was just you know this was like this little Edenic probably period of like feeling like the world kind of centered around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I'm just I was curious because it's always been interesting to me to understand how these personality structures and start. We understand. My understanding is that personality is kind of done being formed at around age seven. But whatever the like, it was fairly traumatic moving when I was almost eleven to Richmond, and I remember my peer groups um, in middle and high school. Like I felt the sense of rejection a lot from them, but it just it I internalized it and it made me so angry and intense and like, but quietly steaming. But I, you know, and I was like gonna prove to all of them how incredibly wrong they were to how special I actually <laughs> re- am. <laughs> Reject um, me. I, so I want to um, move to talk about, sorry. No, it's good. I want to move to talk about so skipping any other theory of <laughs> well, personality. Can I, yeah, can I, I just say you. something quickly about that? I think hearing your experience, Chad is, is really quite interesting because my childhood experience was almost the exact opposite, like not being seen at all, not, you know, and what's interesting is mm. I'm sexual repressed. And from what I understand about the sexual instinct is that typically, you know, this may not be true for everyone, but typically um, those who are sexual dominant were, were the Oedipal winner in, in like in relationship to their parents, you know, like if you're, if one of your parents chose you over their partner, that that's kind of like the, the kind of a, um, a signifier of, of sexual dominance. And for me, I was definitely the Oedipal loser. 
And so that for me kind of explains a little bit why I'm sexual repressed. So really interesting, even though we're the same uh, Enneagram type as yeah. fours, like my experience as a self-pressed four is totally different from your experience as a sexual four. Wow. And like how we show up is quite different, even if, you know, envy and melancholy and all of that is at the root of it all. Right. Uh, but yeah. Very, very interesting. Which is why, is. as we all know, instincts are so important. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about the subtypes. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to talk about how you're using the Enneagram to grow a little bit. So uh, we talked about the passion of envy. Um, and I'll just read real quick what Be Beatrice Chestnut, our teacher, says. Um, she says, type four manifest as a painful sense of lack and a craving for what is felt as lacking. In envy, there's a perception that something good is outside the four's experience and that there is a deficiency on their part. It's the habit of comparing themselves to others and the feeling that derives from an ongoing comparison that puts them below or above another person. And then Oranio says he talks about equanimity, so the virtue of type four is equanimity. And he says it has to do with balance, balance in how fours see themselves and others. It's a new way to feel like that who I am is equal to who you are. In equanimity, fours crave simplicity and emotional neutrality. So I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about this, vi this uh, vice to virtue conversion, what that's, what that has looked like for you in your growth. And then currently like what's just give us a glimpse into kind of how you're working on this. Well, I will just jump in and just say overall that right now, what is showing up for me is this, um, getting out of having to be, um, seen as artistically, super like seeing the the self-importance if not narcissism of just the emptiness of just like so what if you know i could create this beautiful stuff it just points back to me and stepping into through what's authentic and important to me uh, on a missional level like what you know we're we're trying to create material and books and and ideas that will impact others we're trying to wake up and i would like to um you know help others to wake up that feels much more missional and authentic to me so that's i feel like a growth path mm -hmm. you were saying anything specific about emo emotional equanimity or balance and how Oh, how you're pursuing that. Um, I'll let the others respond. Okay, We'll come back because, to you. Yeah. All right. I'll jump in and say, <laughs> um, so I think we all here follow B chestnut and your Pies's work pretty closely. And basically they've given us a roadmap for this. So yeah. anyone interested <laughs> should look into them. Yes. Um, but what that means for me specifically is a lot of inner child work, like learning about my childhood, mm. um, being able to tell my story around my childhood, um, which B and Uranio have done so be beautifully for me. Um, but then also, I think specifically as a four, I feel like um, I'm having to do less of the work and more of life is showing up mm. for me and kind of just showing me the path. Um, because what I'm 
learning more and more and more is that we are all living a shared experience. We are all one. We uh, we get what we need out of life when we need it. Uh, we just have to be open to those possibilities. And I think constantly getting that message over and over and over again is showing me that I don't have to compare. Now, I'm not saying I don't. I do all the time, just letting you know. Yeah. But in short, sweet moments when I don't compare myself to everyone else in the room or everyone else in the world or my past self or my future self, I really realize that we are all on the same level because we are all one. And that simple truth has really helped me in a lot of ways and just kind of guiding the work that I do, my inner work and my professional work. Um, and, and all of the tactics that come along the way, I feel like are just showing myself that all the time. Um, so whether it's meditation or specific Enneagram work, coaching, therapy, all, all of the above go into that. But I feel like for me, that's the message I'm supposed to get. I don't fully believe it yet, but I am <laughs> determined that by the end of my life, I will. Do you have like a mantra or anything that you meditate on or think through that helps with that? Oh, you're putting them on the spot. Well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm just kidding. Because Aranya said in one of our retreats, he was for the type two, um, the mantra of I'm nothing. And, okay. And I love that. I'm like, I'm, so mine would, mine's very, very similar, but tiny bit different. Cause you know, we share that line two yes, and four. We do. That's right. Um, but in different ways. And I think at the last inner work retreat we were at, um, we did a meditation at the end and we were supposed to um, just, pick up what we were supposed to sense through different, I don't know if it was colors or emotions. I can't even remember. We did so many different meditations. But what came up for me was the burning bush. And I was like, why am I seeing the burning bush? That's so weird. And then by the end of the meditation, all I could hear in my head was, I am, I am, I am. Wow. And here's the thing. For fours, we want to have this identity, this unique identity, right? But really all that we are is I am. I just am. That just I gave exist. me chills. I'm serious. I just felt yeah. a chill when you said that's, that's, that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, Thank you for sharing helpful. that, Shay. Yeah. Amanda, how about you? Which tell us a little bit about your wealth. I mean, mm -hmm. your growth path in general or specifically with equanimity. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for me, it's almost like, um, a leaning back, or, um, a, um, and I think this has to do with moving away from the introjection, right? But it's like stepping back and not be, and in a way that isn't putting, just turning my face inward toward myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like a weird way to put it, but it's like this, it's being able to observe, it's being able to not do the heart type thing of like being fully in and taking on your stuff for myself, right? It's like this, it's a subtle movement. It's a separation, but in a way that doesn't make me turn inward. Um, and it's just like an ability to observe and to, and, and it happens for like a split second. And Shay, I always mention your piece of work because it was so powerful, even as a, an observer. Um, the first time I met Shay, Uranyu led her on this, um, 
exercise around introjection. And um, Shay, you'll probably, can you, do you mind saying something about like how that was for you? If you don't mind sure. going off script a little bit, but it was so impactful <laughs> to me that I think it's part of my, my growth path and how I've moved mm-hmm. toward anonymity personally. I appreciate that because that was really quite a unique, memorable moment in my life of, uh, you're running. I was like only five minutes. You just have to stay here for five minutes and we'll do this, this, uh, piece of work in front of everyone. <laughs> and this was, um, you know, I'm a very shy four. And so for most of the event, I was like hung back. I was like sitting by myself, like just kind of observing, not watching many people, but then deeply emotionally invested in what everyone was saying while we were there. And so I think he noticed that I was doing this introduction thing. And so did this piece of work with me. And what he did was he sat me in front of everyone and he actually taught, re-taught me how to breathe almost because what fours do is we breathe in more than we breathe out. Mm. And that's part of the introduction piece is like pulling in what's outside of us into ourselves. And so he actually taught me how to breathe out and flow the energy out. And I'm doing this, staring at this room full of people, connecting eyes with everyone. And I kid you not, I had at that moment in my life, I probably felt more disconnected than I had ever felt in my entire life. But in that moment, I literally saw like lines connecting me to everyone around in that mm, room. Wow. And it was this, this breath work that he taught me in that huh. moment. So I love Amanda that that was impactful for you because it was definitely impactful for me. And maybe one day I'll get to see it from the other side. Um, Cause it's, it's definitely a cool one. What a yeah. gift for both of you. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's this like connecting without taking, you know? Mm. Yes. And that's what was so powerful in witnessing that. And it's like, that's the practice, you know, is, and th- that's what I was trying to articulate around moving back and being able to see others without taking from them, without energetically taking their stuff, you know? And so that's really the practice for me right now. And, um, and that's what is starting to define equanimity for me. I love the contrast, Amanda, just seeing what you did a few minutes ago with the leaned over with the trash on the back, the the masochism, and then just seeing you lean back and how different that posture is and that energy is. Um, so it, it helped me, yeah, like totally understand equanimity. I don't have to do that, you know, and you don't have to do a back bend. You can just kind of stay grounded and in, in solid. Uh, and that maybe is that idea of neutrality a little bit. Did you want to share anything else? Sure. Uh, we can come circle back, back around. Yeah. Um, I was thinking recently about like with, with, with some of my relationships um, and friends, it's like I, I'm more conscious now and aware of their expenditure of emotional energy mm. uh, and, and, uh, and how do I engage or be influenced by it? And how do I try to remain neutral? And I think that um, I value my relationships, my one-on-one um, more than I, you know, and I'm more selective and uh, I'm, I'm having a nice, I've, I feel like I'm achieving a little bit of a boundary when someone's like really negative 
I'm able to let them be in their negativity and not try to change them, but also not let them kind of dominate the room with it. Mm -hmm. So it's bringing up maybe some awareness about energy and how how you, you spend it or take it in. Yeah. And it makes me think, so you've been more consciously aware of your five wing uh, yeah, I'll just say all of the above. Uh, I feel like I, I, I've reached a point where I feel very ba- balanced between three and five. I closely relate a lot to one. And so for me, I think my next focus is two and, and really try to, to see what work that number or that personality type has, right? Or the other twos in my life, what they have to bring to me. Yeah. Right. Amanda, last words that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it, um, I'm doing some work with my therapist around like reparenting and a lot of it has to do with routines and my inability to just give myself structure basically. And so I think moving, you know, to one has been important in that work. Um, And I'm trying to just do the basic things that adults should do, (laughs) which can be hard for fours. So that's very hard for fours. (laughs) Adulting. Yeah. So I'm aware that we are at time and you all have been so generous and um, insightful with wisdom. Um, And then I just, I so appreciate you both and and my husband. Yeah. You guys are amazing. Very special. This has been really, really fun. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Uh, And this is coming right out too. Yeah. So we'll, we'll email you as soon as it comes live. Thank you very, very much. Thanks guys. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so honored to have you with us. Next week, look forward to our talk with a couple of fives and learn how they navigate the world as the first of the types with a head-first center of intelligence. Shelly has a few remaining slots for her coaching services if you'd like to check out all the details at bigselfschool.com backslash coaching. We'll see you next week.